This week, we're taking a look at vaccine nationalism, or better yet, vaccine protectionism, and how this is all playing out on the global stage. Our country's really adhering to the philosophy that no one is safe until everyone is safe. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chelsea. And this is The Agreement, the show where we disagree without being disagreeable. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, it became abundantly clear to countries around the world that the only way out of the pandemic would be a successful vaccine distributed to populations on a global scale. Early on in the pandemic, before widespread global transmission, researchers in China working on the COVID-19 virus isolated and released the genetic key or sequence to the virus to the global scientific community. The release of the virus's key allowed scientists to pore over the details of the virus, determining where it originated, how it may behave in the population, and most importantly, how to fight back against the virus should it take hold of populations across the globe. In the months after the genetic key of the virus was released, COVID-19 spread across the globe with devastating health and economic impacts. It became apparent that a successful vaccine would be the only way to bring the world back to a sense of normalcy. Simultaneously, countries around the globe began scrambling to form public-private partnerships with pharmaceutical companies, invest in vaccine research, and ultimately secure contracts for vaccines once approved from drug makers. Perhaps the most notable partnership to develop vaccines was in the United States where President, then-President Donald Trump started Operation Warp Speed, a public-private partnership that saw the United States government invest $10 billion in public funding into vaccine research and domestic manufacturing capabilities. Now, Almost a year since the genetic sequence was released and successful vaccines have been developed for distribution, a growing disparity between the have and have not countries is abundantly clear. With countries like Israel, the United States, the United Kingdom and Spain leading the way in vaccinations per 100 people, developing, developing nations across the globe and astonishingly, astonishingly some G20 countries like Canada are being left behind. Today on The Agreement, we discuss vaccine nationalism and the impacts it will have on the global fight to end the COVID-19 pandemic. Like I'll start out talking about vaccine nationalism. It, you have Canada that allegedly has procured seven doses of the vaccine for every one of its citizens. It doesn't seem to me like that's a very good thing in terms of global distribution of vaccinations. Yeah, that's the funny thing. So Canada actually is the country with the highest amount of vaccines per capita. Um, but again, then we're going to get into the distribution discussion and all the issues with sourcing it. So they're saying that they've done all this because perhaps certain contracts won't come through to fruition, certain um, certain vaccines may not get approval, and they won't be sure that they'll get them all. But at the end of the day, if they were to get them all, then they're saying, well, then we're going to donate the rest of that to COVAX. But yeah. the issue I have with that logic is, and this goes back to the vaccine protectionism and this idea of nationalism, um, as the World Health Organization keeps saying, no one is safe until everyone is safe. But it seems that rich countries are operating under this notion that, well, we'll worry about everyone else being safe as soon as all our people are safe. But does, um, that, does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me at all. It, it upsets me. And the reason why it upsets me is because it's short-sighted. It's saying, okay, we want to get people vaccinated because we want to get our economies up and running. And it's thinking from a perspective that 
our economies function within their national boxes, which they don't. The world economy depends on Bangladesh. It depends on China. It depends on all countries being able to return to work in order for the gears of the economy to start turning properly. So whilst it's good for politicians to vaccinate their nations first, um, and it's good for that whole political agenda of getting reelected within a four or five year term, it's not looking at the long-term effects for the economy by choosing to proceed this way. And, and we've made this mistake before. When right? would you In terms of, you know, not having a, you know, a globalist look at, at vaccine distribution, like with SARS um, or with H1N1 previously. Yeah. And the other one that I found quite interesting is actually this protectionism. It's not something that's new to the vaccine. It was a big issue with distributing PPE equipment um, at the start of the pandemic. So Europe and Britain both put up bars to their face masks and other protective equipment being exported. And so you started to find shortages in different parts of the world and, and countries hoarding what they had. And so, yes, we keep talking about having to deal with this all for one kind of mentality, but we're not really thinking about it that way. Um, and that's where I see the issue. I don't think that vaccines being distributed by nations is perhaps a positive because it's too short-sighted because politicians only think about getting reelected. They're not well, worried about much else than the optics. Yeah, and, and you know, it, I think we go from, you know, the, the quote, we're all in this together, which every politician has rehashed over the last year, um, yeah. to truly seeing more of a dog-eat-dog -dog world when it comes to vaccine distribution. And, you know, when push comes to shove, whether it's you or politicians or whatever, you're going to look out for yourself first and your people in your country first, right? Yeah, you, know, you are. And, 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 and I'm, I'm somewhat okay with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like um, the woman who's the head of the, the vaccine um, reporting section at The Economist, she was talking about this on BBC and she was saying that she thinks this initiative being nationally driven is actually a good thing because a lot of rich nations have invested a lot of money personally into vaccine development. Um, and they're producing it within their own borders. And by doing that, they're increasing the ability that will be able to be distributed. So she was arguing more from like a capitalist perspective as to how this is a better thing to do on a national front, as opposed to accepting that an international organization was gonna step in and do it because you won't have that same financial drive and you yeah. won't have motivation to get it out. But I think where that fails is a lot of rich countries that did have the capability to perhaps develop the vaccine within their own borders and maybe be able to produce more of it. Um, like Copenhagen, for example, or um, if you look at Canada, none of these countries that should have been developing the vaccine did. Instead, they may have invested a little bit of money towards vaccine development, but they're not helping with the production aspect of it. And as a result, they're now causing a lot of problems in terms of getting that vaccine distributed fairly. You know, I, I think this circles back to a concept that, you know, I, I'm very, I, I believe very strongly in government is, is that, you know, I, would I like to help all the poor countries in the world? Yes, I would. You know, I would definitely without a doubt. Can we afford to do it? And is it the top priority of Canada right now to do something like that? I would say the answer is no, you know, and, and I, 
to, to me, like Canada, the United States, Britain need to be focused on their own citizens right off the hop. And obviously it's not going to look politi good politically if, you know, there's any type of delays, which, I mean, you're obviously seeing delays now um, in getting your own citizens vaccinated because maybe it's not the global priority. I mean, that's not going to go over well with any, any, any government, right? And, and the government's number one job is to get reelected again and to be popular, to keep everybody's job. And I think you would see such negative impacts on those governments if they were not trying to, you know, procure as many vaccines for their own citizens as fast as possible. Yeah, but I think that then goes to the heart of the problem, really. It's like, Agreed. why Agreed. should you and I, when we're in our 30s, be getting a vaccine before someone who is a healthcare worker in Nigeria, for example? Like, there's, there's no reason for that other than the fact that it looks good politically. And I think that's where you need an international organization to step in because of course countries are gonna be selfish when they have money. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you look, you look it's, it's, hard to get, it's hard to get countries involved with international organizations. I mean, you see the US pulling out of the WHO under Trump. It sounds like they're gonna rejoin it under Biden now, um, but it's, it's definitely super difficult to get you know, the, the world on the same, on the same pace, on the same page, pardon me, in terms of something like a vaccine. Yeah, no, it's very hard because I mean, we're all feeling the effects of it. Um, but we're all trying to also get back to normal as soon as possible. And I think for most of us, we only see normal as, you know, what's outside our front door. Um, yeah. It's, it's too short-sighted. And I think that's the flaw is that, of course, if we leave this to politicians, as you said, it is going to be about re-election, but it's not going to help in the grand scheme of things, which is what the Yeah, and, and the world has become so, the, the world is becoming much more and more instant gratification, right? Need this now. Don't think of the long-term effect, long effects. Think of the short-term effects. Get it as quick as possible. You know, I do think it's interesting in, in, the, in the discussion of vaccine nationalism to talk to um, the fact that, Canada procured 1.2 million doses from a fund set up for poorer nations that Canada donated to. Yeah. COVAX, and yeah. Uh, the COVAX fund or the COVAX yeah. program through, through the WHO. Is it through WHO or through the UN? So no, it's the WHO that runs the vaccine support one. So there's three different groups that are running COVAX. And um, yeah, so we technically were donating to COVAX and there are other developed like countries that are going to receive um, vaccines. I think New Zealand was one of the other ones, but they weren't first on the list, which is the other shocking bit, that Canada is going to be one of the first to receive vaccines from COVAX. Like, how is that necessary? Well, so do you think that that's something that, you know, the Liberals in Canada have obviously, you know, public perception is that they've bundled the, the vaccine rollout, uh, you know, and now we're gonna go get 1.2 million doses from COVAX, is that, is that just to score political points? Of course. You know, it's is, is, is that just to, to make it seem like they're doing all they can? It's so that they can say we've put X amount of jabs in people's arms today. And now we've got a few more extras in the bank. So, because the problem with Canada, as I mentioned earlier, is that they didn't bother investing in developing the vaccine themselves. So they're reliant on these contracts to come through when we're actually pretty far down the list. And that's where the big screw up lies. Like Canada had more than enough capability to start developing this vaccine. 
Well, and it seems as though there was a bunch of companies in Canada that wanted to make the vaccine and, and, uh, and the didn't. government didn't, didn't pursue yeah. it. Yeah, so that's where the government screwed up and now they are just trying to cover their tracks. Yeah, I feel like it's very difficult to extract that and try and sell to a population. Um, you know, we're not going to get any doses this month because healthcare workers in South Africa need doses more than we do. I, I just think that that's such a difficult thing to... Uh, okay, but if someone told you that, Pat, yeah. if someone said to you, you're not going to get a vaccine in September, you're going to have to wait till December because some someone in South Africa who is a frontline healthcare worker needs that vaccine. How would you personally feel about that? I mean, I'm young enough that, you know, probably the effects of getting COVID wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't be as bad as say somebody like my grandmother who's 90 and living on her own in Ontario. You know, if, if I was, if I was, you know, I think I would be okay with giving my vaccine dose away at this point, but I think there's a lot of Canadians that are in different situations that probably wouldn't be. Right, but that's what I'm saying. So if you had an international organization that was handling this, they're going to be prioritizing people based off their exposure and their likelihood of getting sick and dying from this disease. So they're yeah. going to look at the situation as a whole, which means that, yes, someone who is working as a healthcare worker is going to get that vaccine before you or I, because you and I don't need it at that rate, right? Like, it's not going to make a big effect to yours or my life if we get COVID. The problem is that we're carriers. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Well, I mean, chances are slim. So I think that's where it's better to have an international organization doing that oversight. And I think you and I are both perfectly capable of saying, hey, if it's going to take an extra four or five months before I get my vaccine, that's not a big deal because I recognize that some people actually need it before I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting debate because I think there's a lot of people that would say, no, I want that vaccine now. You know, I don't want that person in South Africa to have that vaccine. I want it now. Like we live in a rich country, you know, Canada is very well off. We can afford our own vaccines. I want that now. I think you're going to, I think, you know, you may not hear it directly come out of somebody's mouth, but I think greed factors into that greed and, um, you know, people feeling like they deserve to get that vaccine first. Simply because you were born somewhere, being born somewhere is a matter of chance. No, I, I for sure, I, I agree. I just think it's a, I, it's a difficult, it would be a very difficult sell to a population. Uh, not that we're getting any vaccines now, but to, to, you know, push those vaccinations off, giving it to other places in the world. I just, I, I, I think that'd be a very tough sell for a lot of Canadians. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The other one I wanted to bring up was, um, did you hear how they're doing the vaccination program in Indonesia? I did not. Okay. So what they're doing, which I find really interesting, is they're actually vaccinating the young first. Even though they're not the most at risk of getting sick and dying from it, they're the entire workforce. And in Indonesia, it's a lot of in-person work, so they're not able to work from home. So they've taken this different policy, and they're going to vaccinate all the young workers, all the taxi drivers, because they're the ones that are out and about and more likely to catch the virus and bring it home. And they live in these intergenerational homes. So they're living with their grandparents and their parents and people who would be at risk. But because they're vaccinated, they're no longer going to be giving it to that older generation. So they're, they're trying to do this from a different, like totally different view than every other country on earth. And it will be really interesting to see if this works for them because like Indonesia is an incredibly important source for like 
our factory works and like all these multinationals really rely on it. Um, so I'm curious to see how that plan plays out for them. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of different plans um, in a lot of different countries for this, right? Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see who has success. Taking the old person and the most like key worker route, but this is the first one that said, let's go for the young. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, okay. Canada's route is just to not vaccinate anybody. That, yeah, it no, seems at the moment. That need it more. That's our yeah. policy right now, I think. But yeah, it's an interesting one. So I guess I, what I would like to know from you is, do you think it's a flaw having both systems operating? So we've got COVAX, which is this international organization that's been put together to distribute the vaccine to middle income and poorer countries. And then you've also got the rich countries doing their own thing where they're going to be setting up contracts and distribution networks with the vaccine producers. And they're getting all their vaccines first, and then we're kind of getting a few to going to COVAX. Um, and then the rich countries say once they're done vaccinating their population, they will give the rest to COVAX. Um, do you, like in your opinion, is this the right way to go about it? Given what I mentioned earlier, perhaps it's better for vaccine development because rich countries are investing. Or do you think it would have made sense to take this and have an international organization be in charge of vaccine distribution in the long run? Well, I think looking, when you're going to look back on this, um, mm -hmm. Whenever we get vaccinated, and you know, and, and in Canada, which is you know seven years away at the current rate, um, I think in a, in a perfect society, obviously one central uh, distributor of the vaccines, you know, one price, every country on board, you know, would probably be the best way to do it. I would think to ensure adequate distribution, giving it to the people, the places that need it the most, uh, yeah. you know, and and that would probably shut this thing down a lot faster than the route we're taking now. However, yeah. you know, I think capitalism creep, creeps into this, right? Like I said before, capitalism, um, political popularity creeps into this. And I think without, you know, like Trump's Operation Warp Speed, which, you know, gave $10 billion uh, in a public-private partnership to these drug manufacturers, I don't yeah. think these things would have been done that fast without some of these private partnerships, you know? I, I do find it interesting, you know, everybody, the narrative, everybody hates drug companies and they're bad and they make so much money um, and charge so much money for, 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 for drugs. It's like, you know, these pharma companies aren't going to make a vaccine for something like this unless they're assured money at the end of the day, right? Like with Operation Warp Speed, every drug company or a, a bunch of different drug companies, you know, Trump said, here's all the money, go build this vaccine. Even if it doesn't get approved, you're still covered for that money. So I think, you know, at the outset, I do think you needed a partnership with government, uh, with some of the big governments like, you know, the United States, China, Russia, with some of these pharmaceutical companies in order to get this done so quickly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do think you needed that from, from the outset. But in a, in a perfect utopian society, I think the idea of having um, all the countries in the world get on the stage or on the world stage getting together, doing all this together and giving it to the places that needed it the most fast uh, is, you know, when the dust settles, it probably would be the way to go. Yeah. Well, and it will just be interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of predictions this won't be the, the last pandemic of our lifetime. So to see what lessons are learned from this and how we proceed going forward, um, just like some fun facts, um, it's projected that the wealthy countries are going to have the entire 2021 supply of drugs. Uh, yeah. 
I read that out of 7.2 billion confirmed uh, purchases of COVID-19 vaccines, 4.2 billion doses have gone to uh, the wealthiest nations in the world. Yeah, so we right. have basically monopolized the 2021 supply of the vaccine, which means that lower income countries will probably be waiting until 2023 or 2024. I just wonder how it might turn out next time around, I guess. I well, have we have definitely not learned the lessons from previous viruses globally. No, but none of them have affected the world on such a grand scale. Definitely. Has. So yeah. it'll be interesting. At the end yeah. of the day, I'm okay with vaccine nationalism. Okay. You know, I, you think it serves a purpose. Well, it's the duty of a government to protect its citizens, you know, kind of at all costs. And I think the way that these governments are going about it, um, you know, they're using every lever they have, every dollar they have to secure these vaccinations for their countries. And I think that's kind of what you expect of government. Um, you know, the, the globalist, the globalist idea, the, the globalist idea of this utopian where everybody works together, I, I just think can work on a lot of things, but you know, when there's a global pandemic and everybody's scrambling to, to, to rein in this virus, it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, I disagree in the sense that I feel we're moving into more and more of a globalized world in terms of the issues we're dealing with. So if you're dealing with climate change or you're dealing with a pandemic, this is a global issue. This is no longer an issue that should be dealt with on a nationalist basis. And I think that's the problem. We have to reformulate our way of thinking. And we're comfortable with relying on our governments to take care of us. But there comes a point where we have to realize that national borders are just lines that we one day decide to draw on a map. They're not actually hard and fast rules for where this pandemic is going to start and stop. It's not where global warming is going to start and stop. It's these are international issues and they need to be dealt with on an international mindset. Thank you, Pat, and thank you to our listeners. If you are enjoying the agreement, please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choosing and leave us a rating, preferably a positive one, if you have time. Join us again in two weeks. And until then, remember that there is and always will be two sides to every coin. <laughs>